Up next, we take a journey into the Homes Not Prisons campaign. The campaign was established in early 2021 to stop the expansion of the maximum security women's prison in Melbourne's western suburbs, the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, and to divert funding to public housing and Aboriginal community-controlled housing. Over the past decade, the number of people locked up in women's prisons in Victoria has nearly doubled, and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are the fastest-growing prison population. So in the lead-up to the state election on November the 26th, the Homes Not Prisons campaign is calling for the defunding of police and prisons and to invest the money in communities instead. In October, the Homes Not Prisons campaign held a rally in Nile, Melbourne, on the steps of Parliament in order to raise community awareness about the issue and to celebrate the announcement that DPFC were decommissioning some of the reception units. So you'll hear from the rally now and Auntie Di Kerr and Homes Not Prisons steering group members, Annie Vicky Roach, Sarah Stelianos, Nina Storey, as well as Sarah Schwartz from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and Georgina Cartland from Shut Dondale about the campaign to build Homes Not Prisons. The rally began with Annie Di Kerr and a welcome to country. Hi, everyone. I honour my ancestors and my elders and I pay homage to the sacred grounds that we're on. I wish to acknowledge any elders, elders of different nations and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, First Nation peoples from across the waters and I acknowledge you all and I pay my respects to ancestors, elders and families. It's an honour and a privilege to be here today with so many people that are fighting for our rights, for our people that are forgotten. They're actually forgotten. They're locked away and forgotten, which is disgusting. And they need us. And, you know, their their connection to their families is broken, especially the women at the moment that are in Dame Phyllis and... A lot of our communities are in are in um, incarcerated because of fines, not because of anything that's really really illegal. Shame. It's really it is shameful, very shameful, and these fellows in here can change it. They only have to sign a document because we need our families and communities amongst us for for all of us and for our children to have a better future. My uncle William Barrack, who I call grandfather, used to sit here on this hill before this was built. He was our Narangida, our chief, and he visited all of the people come to visit him to do their business. He held parliament here hundreds of years ago. He died in 1903, and then they built this here. But his photo is not in there, and he was the first lawman of Melbourne. And he would not agree with what's happening to our community today. So I hope that you fight hard, commit to each other, be a family. You know, when we come together with all different cultures, we have a really strong strength. We really do. And we appreciate each other and understand each other. You know, when we do that, we live in harmony. And when we live in harmony, we eradicate racism and stigma. And we do pave the way for our children, our future leaders. They can live in peace and walk our streets without fear of any harm. And they won't, they won't, like with our community, 
We'll say our cousin's on holiday. So our kids grow up thinking people are on holiday when they're incarcerated. We don't need that anymore. We don't need it. There are certain people that do need to be in a place where they can heal. The rest, no. Because community can heal them. So can I just say, may Bunjil, my creator, surround you all and give you strength and resilience. Wurundjika, Wurundjeri, Balak, Yemengundibig. That means welcome to Wurundjeri country. I wish to welcome you from the tops of the trees to the roots in the ground. So when we look after each other and we look after country, country will look after us. And I say Nungodjan, that means thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day and have a wonderful day. Nungodjan. Thanks so much, Arnie Dai. Really appreciate you coming out. That was beautiful. Thanks. My name is Nina and I am on the steering group for the Homes Not Prisons campaign and <laughs> unfortunately I was just thrown into MC late last night so I'm feeling really nervous and got some notes prepared. Um, we were going to have Jazz who is also attached to the campaign MC today and I just want to do a little bit of a shout out to her because she couldn't be here because she's unwell. Jazz is a staunch Kurdish woman and troublemaker based in Nam. She's an activist, prison abolitionist, <laughs> no border activist and criminology student at Melbourne University. She's currently working on a documentary film called Bendigo Street, which discusses the coloniality of our housing system. You can also find like a little placard for the Bendigo Street with a um, QR code attached to it because she's currently looking for funding to increase that short film into a 60-minute film. So if you could support her by doing that, that would be great. I'm just going to give a little bit of an introduction about the Homes Not Prisons campaign, which is why we are all gathered here today. So in March 2021, the Victorian government announced a construction of 106 beds at Dame Phyllis Frost, which is the women's maximum security prison in Victoria, and they were had intended to spend... $188.9 million. Absolute shame. Um, and it's, it's quite ironic, actually, because Dame Phyllis Frost currently has, without the build, has a capacity to house 604 women. And at the height of the pandemic in June, there were only 330 women that were incarcerated. So there's absolutely no need to expand the prison industrial complex whatsoever. And, you know, and we saw in the pandemic to the response and how quickly those prisons can be emptied. It can be done. Despite the reductions in the prison numbers in Victoria during the COVID pandemic, the Andrews government remained committed to building thousands of new prison cells. Hey! Hey! Homes Not Prisons is a campaign calling on the Victorian government to stop the expansion of Danefields Frost and reallocate that budget for prison building to public housing, providing housing first and support criminalised women and their children. So in the meantime and after campaigning for some time, we have actually received intel from Tracy Jones, which is the general manager from Dame Phyllis Frost, or at least she was. I'm not quite sure whether she is still. But at the time she was, and we received um, an email from her confirming that the build would consist of 66 reception beds, two units of 20 beds, for closed support and supervision units and a total of 106 beds which are due to open early next year. 
That being said, they do aim and in quotation marks aim. So we just have to be really mindful of the language that they're using. So they haven't confirmed it, but they aim to demolish the old reception unit of 52 beds alongside demolishing the old management unit of 40 beds, which takes 24 beds offline and refurbished for the Aboriginal healing units and program space. So this would actually have a net in, uh, loss of 10 beds, meaning the prison isn't getting expanded. But we very much fear that if they're using the language as aiming, that those buildings will just be refurbished at a later date. And so now we're campaigning to have those buildings demolished. So where to from here? We continue to demand and put pressure on so that the decommissioned buildings are in fact demolished and not recommissioned. We hope to create relationships and combine other campaigns that are doing work around abolition. We want to stop the expansion of all prisons and all new builds Australia-wide, <clears throat> including youth detention centres. We aim to come together as a nation, strengthen our voices as we grow in numbers to demolish and abolish the prison industrial complex, defund police and redirect money into public housing and Aboriginal controlled housing. So, not sure um, how many of you know, but our original date was actually scheduled last week, and so having to have rescheduled a number of speakers haven't been well, and there's just been circumstances in people's lives that unfortunately they couldn't be here today. One of which is Vicky Roach, who actually lives interstate and isn't well enough to travel, but she has written a statement for us today to, to read, and Amanda George will read this statement out. Thanks, Amanda. I'm just going to do a little bit of an intro for Vicky. She's a Yuan woman along with her mother. They were both members of the Stolen Generation. Vicky, who left school in Year 7, went on to gain a master's degree in writing from Swinburne University while she was in custody. Notably, also while in prison, Vicky participated in the 200 High Court Challenge that succeeded in striking out legislation which banned prisoners who were serving three years and under from voting. In the same year, along with Sharon Dev, were named joint winners of the Tim McCoy Human Rights Award. Currently, Vicky devotes her time to activism and advocacy around issues concerning First Nations women in prison and is also on the steering group of the Homes Not Prisons campaign. She advocates and wants to abolish violence against women and deaths in custody. Vicky is especially energised by current conversations around the dismantling of the prison industrial complex and defunding police. Vicky is a writer, a poet, a public speaker and an activist and an advocate for women, particularly Aboriginal women, who have been caught up in the criminal justice system. I'll hand it over to Amanda. Thanks, Amanda. What do we say? What do we say? Who do we defund? Who do we defund? And who else? Prisons, pull them down. It's a great privilege to be here and I acknowledge that we are on unceded country and it is a great privilege for us to be here today and, and thank you, Arnie Dye, for your welcome today and the welcome to country. Vicky, you needed somebody to do this and I am. I'm Vicky Roach. A UN woman with a master's degree in writing, and you could almost say a PhD in the long history of the Australian prison system. 
Some people say the criminal laws that are putting more and more Aboriginal women, men and children in prison are broken. But I say they're working exactly as they were designed and tended to work. I was removed from my mother when I was two years old and charged with neglect by way of destitution and made a ward of the state. As a child, I ran away from a foster parent several times and was taken into custody for running away. My removal from my mother was a product of the colonial system and its laws. My mother's removal was also a product of the colonial system and its laws. My grandmother's loss of her child was a product of the colonial system and its laws. My child's removal from me was a product of the colonial system and its laws. I don't think I'm different to other Aboriginal women in the criminal legal system. We are all unique in our own ways, but the way we are treated is the same. The criminalising and the targeting of me as an Aboriginal woman who uses drugs and needs to be punished, to be corrected and cured, is the reason I have spent years in coloniser prisons. People who use drugs and end up in prison, particularly women, are very likely to look like me and, like me, have multiple trauma stories as yet untold. I started using when I was 13, lived on the streets for a while there. I was probably the original street kid in the cross. I was the one who used to sneak around at four in the morning and nick your bread and milk in your newspaper. For a really long time, it felt like we were just having fun. I knew everybody, everybody knew me and I belonged. I was part of the fabric of the cross. They were my people. The thing with using, there's a lot of problems, but it also gives you purpose and a community. When you look at it like everyone else, you've got to go and make the money you need. It's a job. You have to work at it like it's an actual job. A dangerous and often dirty and disgusting job. Nothing like the teacher, doctor or animal trainer you thought you wanted to be when you were a kid. But it's a job you found yourself in and you need to do it to keep the demons at bay. My so-called crimes were acts of survival. Survival was having enough money to keep a roof over my head and not starve and support the drug habit that numbed me enough to be able to do the things I needed to do to survive. It starts with out-of-home care, being removed from our own families. It's like a pipeline, a funnel. The juvenile justice system governs the lives of wards of the state. I was in adult prison by 17. There's this underlying ideology throughout corrections that we should suffer to be corrected. Aboriginal women in custody are treated with varying degrees of outright hostility, physical abuse and neglect. In my experience, racism is never more clearly defined than when you're sitting in police custody. Like if you're a wealthy white woman, you'll probably be looked at by a doctor straight away and get proper medical assistance and all that sort of thing. For a user off the street, they'd be treated far differently. Be lucky to see a doctor, lucky to get anything other than a Panadol. And then we'd have to wait for a nurse for hours to get that couple of Panadol. For an Aboriginal woman, she might be in the same boat, but probably wouldn't even get a bloody Panadol. Would only see the doctor because the doctor's there for the white woman anyway. Actually, I said bloody, she didn't say bloody. As an Aboriginal woman going into custody in prison, you have to be through that stuff as a child as well. And it's an extension of the same. When you're in a kid's home, you kind of figure it out pretty quickly that your own body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to them. 
They can do what they like with you. They can do what they like to you. With strip searching, so many women just dissociate from their bodies, which is not easy for all women to do. For a lot of women, just being strip searched in itself will trigger more trauma. Even after they get dressed, they're still sort of shaking and you know it's a traumatising experience, particularly in custody cells, because they're rough and they're rude and they're arrogant and they're personal. They make personal remarks about your body and shit like that. Like it always reminded me of slaves on the market getting ready to be sold. And it could be done as meanly or as roughly or as perfunctorily as they felt like. You know, it just depends. I lost custody of my son in 1986. At the custody hearing, the family court was in the old Albion Street Children's Court, the same court where the same judge had sent me to a children's home. I was in the same building with the same judge who sent me to prison as a child and was now deciding I was to lose my own child. It took me eight years of fighting in court to get my son back. I've been in nearly every rehab on the east coast of this country. The best drug rehab I ever had was actually for alcohol when I lost my job. I went on compo and they sent me into this private rehab. I couldn't believe it. They treated us like patients, not like inmates. And we actually saw the doctor once a day. We had all sorts of activities, art, music. Some were optional, some weren't. Very few were mandatory. An actual professor would come and talk to us about addiction and explain aspects of addiction to us. And even, he even taught me things I didn't know. We could leave any time we wanted. The only thing was you didn't want to come back drunk. If you came back drunk, they wouldn't let you get in. I think it was $30,000 for 10 days. And it wasn't drug-free. They gave me drugs and controlled the withdrawal so well that I hardly even noticed it. That was the best treatment I ever had. Rich people treatment. All the other programs I've been in teach you that you're a bad person. You're weak. You're useless. You're hopeless. And you need to suffer more to learn your lesson or some shit. They're all about total abstinence and compliance. And they're also usually shitholes. The food's usually shit. And because everyone's withdrawing without medical support, they're not very pleasant places to be. A lot of people are like, fuck this and just walk out. Then they call the police because you've broken your bail or whatever. The thing is, you can't force someone to stop using. It has to be their decision and their timetable. Our job is keeping them alive, treating their situation as a medical condition until they reach that point. And then to make sure quality care is available for them when they get there. There are a lot of barriers to get into treatment programs in my experience. Waiting lists of six months or more to get into the few rehabs that remain. Calling every day to see if there's been a cancellation. I've been through that process heaps. There's not enough beds and waiting times are too long. When someone decides they want to stop, they need the help then. Not to be told, ah, oh, just keep using until the bed comes up. Getting housing made a big difference for me. I got a job after I got housing. But you can't get started on anything. Your health, safety, well-being, nothing without a house, a home, a home base. Without permanent, secure, affordable housing, not permanent, secure prisons, 
Without this housing, real housing, Aboriginal women become so enmeshed in the criminal justice system, they're in and out, in and out on a regular basis for the rest of their lives. Revolving door women also serve relatively short sentences, but even so, they lose everything they have on the outside, including all their personal possessions, clothes, photos and other sentimental mementos, accommodation and even their children. Have to start from scratch every single time, over and over again. And with mind-numbing consistency, have to maintain the fight to either keep or have their children return to them. My story is just the continuing story of all Aboriginal women during occupation, colonisation and genocide. We're in jail for breaking a white man's law. Men who have no right to be making laws on this land at all. Our law is first at law and should have always been the dominant law in this country. Terra Nullius effectively erased us so they can make their own laws and outlaw us. It's like we're refugees in our own country, on our own land, hunted by coppers and racists alike. And we remember how our ancestors must have felt as we lived through it. They say history is written by the victor. So be it. But let's make our story so big, so loud and so proud, we can never be written out of history. Homes, not prisons. Homes, not prisons. Homes, not prisons. Homes, not prisons. <sighs> wow, there was a lot in that. I'm actually feeling really emotional after that. That. may have um, not mentioned that I've got lived experience of incarceration as well and it's really, really tough that we're treated as disposable people. When the guys behind us say that it's a tough on crime policy, it's a tough on poverty policy. There's so many people that are targeted because of what economic background they come from and like Vicky has just so well mentioned... People are just targeted and that's why they're incarcerated. Like if, if people who are well off, like I just saw the sign over here and it says if you're caught drinking, you get a fine. That doesn't apply to everyone. It only applies to people that they target. So I just want to say as well, always is and always will be Aboriginal land. Always is, always will be Aboriginal land. Always will be Aboriginal land. I'll just give a little bit of an introduction. Sarah has been part of the Homes Not Prison Steering Group since May 2021. The expertise Sarah possesses is having her own lived experience of criminalisation and incarceration. Sarah was also a member of the Women's Transforming Justice Project, which was established by Fitzroy Legal Service. And Sarah is currently studying a bachelor degree in social science. Sarah is driven towards social change and abolishing the castle system and its destructive structures, which are destroying lives, perpetuating further harm and violence due to the systems committed to exert power and control over people. Sarah stands in solidarity with all oppressed women and continues to fight for women's and children's rights. Thank you, Nina. Let's hear it for Nina, hey? Isn't she awesome? 
Yeah. And let's hear it for Vicky Roach as well. Yeah. Nina and Vicky and Sarah are all women that I have the enormous privilege of working with as part of the Homes Not Prisons campaign. I'll be speaking for Sarah today. As Nina mentioned, uh, she couldn't be here because she is recovering from surgery. But Sarah felt that it was really important to share her story with me, to share with you all, because she wants to fight, in her words, forever for the justice, freedom and safety for women and their family. Here is Sarah's statement. My name is Sarah and I want people to know that the experience of homelessness is more than the individual circumstance of just not having a home. It's a lot deeper than that. A lot more childhood trauma comes with that. There's underlying trauma from childhood through to adulthood. For a lot of us, the pipeline to prison is inevitable. I experienced recurring homelessness from the ages of 14 to 28. Having a family that could provide a safe home was not my story. I had to depend on relationships to get a roof over my head. And then I was homeless again when those relationships fell apart. From a young age, I would run away from out-of-home care and the foster system. I was a ward of the state and there were warrants out for my arrest. The foster system sends young people to juvie because they are absconding. Absconding is the word I learnt because child protection would always use it in court. Youth detention is inevitable for so many young people who are lost and broken. The response for young people who are running away is to lock them up. Even if they are in foster care or resi care, they are still homeless because they are not with their family and they are not with people that they know who will keep them safe. My experience of homelessness and incarceration are closely connected. I couldn't get bail because I didn't have a residential address. When I was on bail, they wouldn't let me leave the area where I was homeless. And when I asked if there was somewhere else I could go, they said no. They wanted to keep me homeless, knowing that I had nowhere else to go and that I was going to end up incarcerated because of my homelessness. The only time I ever got bail was when I had a live-in rehab to go to, and that briefly became my permanent address. But when I got out of rehab, I still had nowhere to go, I was still homeless, and I was still at risk of being reincarcerated. For a very long time, I would end up in relationships that were not safe, meeting people just to have a roof over my head, finding myself sexually abused, raped as I was waking up, adding to more trauma and brokenness on top of what I already had. And that's the same story for so many women. Homelessness doesn't discriminate. Homelessness isn't just about living on the streets. Many women who are homeless are couch surfing. Couch surfing makes it sound safe and fun, but really people are just staying wherever they can and doing whatever they can to make sure they're not sleeping on the street. But they find themselves in even more dangerous situations. I don't want people to go through what I went through. I want to see housing that is accessible to all people. I want to see housing that is affordable so people aren't spending every single cent that they have on rent. Housing that is secure so that they can't be evicted. I want to see housing that is safe. I want to see housing that women have control over so that they don't have to leave because of unstable relationships and dangerous situations. I want to see public housing because that means security and stability for people facing homelessness and for women and their families who need it. When you're facing homelessness, you're facing the fear and the trauma that comes with it. I want to see housing for people for life. 
I do not want to see the criminal legal system and all its evil tentacles responding to people experiencing homelessness and poverty. I want to see community response. I want to see community lifting people up and no more stigma and stereotypes. I want to see a fair society. I want to see people thriving and not just surviving. I want to see people experiencing life and enjoying life, not experiencing constant trauma, constant segregation, constant stigma, shame and punishment. I will keep fighting for that until forever. So for Sarah, let's say, build public housing. Build public housing. Homes, not prisons. Homes, not prisons. Defund the police. Defund the police. Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Real shame that Sarah couldn't be here today. It just really enforces, too, like how important housing is. Um, I know, too, from after I got released, my mum took me into her home and um, provided like a safe platform for me to be able to recover and rebuild my life and you know and that was my saving grace and I'll be forever thankful to my mum. So I know she's not here today but thanks mum. (laughs) So next up we've got Sarah Schwartz. So Sarah is head of the Wirraway practice at Vowles which represents people who have been harmed by police in prisons She also represents families of Aboriginal people who have died in custody, including family members of Veronica Nelson, Miss Cal Garrett, Michael Suckling and Clinton Austin, who have all died in Victoria's prisons in the last three years, which is a shame. Thanks, Sarah. I also just want to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land and pay my respects and acknowledge the Aboriginal elders of other communities who maintain the fight to achieve justice. Across Australia, we live on unceded land. Sovereignty has never been ceded. I work at the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service um, in the Wirriway team. Wirriway is a Wurundjeri word meaning challenge. We work with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who've experienced violence and harms of police and prisons and the families of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who've died in custody. There is a crisis of Aboriginal deaths in custody in Victoria. There have been three Aboriginal people die in Victoria's prisons within the last 12 months. They were, they were all dearly loved by their families and communities. Every day at Vowles, we speak to other people in prison who are worried that they will be next. We've got clients who are children who are in adult prison who've witnessed these deaths and have said that it has made them feel like dying is normal in Victoria's prisons. In Victoria, the Aboriginal imprisonment rate has almost doubled in the last 10 years and about half of the prison population is on remand. This creates so much trauma. The obsession that Victorian politicians have with tough-on-crime politics destroys lives, families and communities and Victoria spends billions of dollars on this system. Victoria spends $4 billion on Victoria Police annually and this doesn't include the large amounts of one-off funding they're given for new weapons. Victoria Police employs more staff than any police force in Australia. Politicians are in bed with the police union and there's absolutely no independent oversight or accountability. Victoria Police are a law unto themselves. And it is police who investigate police in this state. It is police who investigate deaths in custody and police who investigate their own wrongs. Even within the government, the Victorian Auditor-General has has launched a scathing report against 
the billions of dollars going to Victoria Police, those billions of dollars which could be invested in public housing, on community health, education and legal services. Investing in communities makes communities safer. Investing in police and prisons does not make communities safer. For many communities, like the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities that Vows works for, building prisons and expanding Victoria Police makes them less safe. Decarceration, getting people out of prison, would free up so much money that could be invested in communities. A huge portion of Victoria's prison population is on remand after being denied bail. About half of the Aboriginal people in Victoria's prisons are on remand. Many of them are facing charges that would not receive a prison sentence if they were found guilty. At some points over the last year, three quarters of Aboriginal women in prison were on remand. We have to fix Victoria's bail laws. We have to implement the recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody over 30 years ago. Vals is asking Victoria's politicians to commit to a zero prison population target this election. And we're talking about closing down prisons. We need to close Dame Phyllis Frost Centre where Veronica Nelson and Miss Calgarrett died. We need to close Ravenhall where Michael Suckling died. We need to close Port Phillip Prison and we need to close Loddon Prison where Clinton Austin died. And we also need to minimise the harm and trauma that prisons inflict on people while we're working towards decarceration. That's why VALS wants the government to fund Aboriginal community-controlled health organisations to deliver culturally safe healthcare in prisons. Victoria is the only state which has a fully privatised prison healthcare system. Currently, healthcare in prisons is contracted out to a private company, Correct Care Australasia, which is a subsidiary of a billion-dollar prison health conglomerate, Wellpath. Wellpath has been sued thousands of times in the US and have been found to cause deaths in custody and put, people over, put profit over people. And these corporations are unaccountable and prioritise punishment and profit over people's lives. Victoria is allowing these private corporations to profit from state-sanctioned violence. Almost all of the deaths in custody cases that Bowles works on relate to poor health care. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are more likely to have died because of lack of access to adequate health care than non-Indigenous people. And poor health care in prisons makes it harder for people to build a life after they've been released. On behalf of Bowles, thank you for coming to this rally today and showing that Victorians want a government that invests in communities and not police and prisons. Thanks so much. Next up, Georgina Gardlin. She's from the voluntary human rights group Concerned Australians and part of the Close Dondale Now movement. She has walked alongside First Nations people in the Northern Territory for almost 15 years. Today, she has been given permission to read out the combined statement from First Nations grandmothers of Darwin, Central Australia. Georgina has just returned from the Northern Territory where she has spent the last eight weeks protesting and advocating with Aboriginal grandmothers from the Top End Darwin, outside the notorious Dondale Youth Detention Centre. As many may remember, this youth detention centre is a former adult maximum security prison and should have been closed following the 2016 and 2017 Royal Commission. Thanks, Georgina. Thank you, Nina.
I would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land upon which we meet today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. And I just had a conversation with Annie Dyer Kerr just beforehand, and she sends all her love to the Nanas up there in the Northern Territory. Thank you, Annie Dye. She's amazing. Thank you to the organisers for standing in solidarity with the Aranda elders in Central Australia and the Close the Dondale grandmothers in the top end. Thank you for supporting and amplifying this call to close Dondale and to abolish youth prisons. We also stand in solidarity with the movement to fund communities, not prisons and police. These are important pieces of the same story. Six years ago, Four Corners exposed the torturous, cruel and inhumane treatment of our children in Dondale Youth Detention Centre. The subsequent Royal Commission into the Detention and Protection of Children in the Northern Territory lay bare the true extent of the systemic abuse. Torture in our detention centres is not an accident. Despite millions spent since then, the situation continues to get worse. All of the children in Dondale are Aboriginal. Yes, all of them. And most are on remand. They have not even been found guilty of a crime, yet they are locked in cage-like cells for up to 23 hours a day. Some are as young as 10. The Northern Territory Government won the 2016 election on the promise of implementing the Royal Commission recommendations. Then it threw them in the bin. The government has ramped up the criminalisation and incarceration of Aboriginal kids and doubled down on their punitive, tough-on-crime regime. The UN Convention on the Rights of the Child requires detention of children to be a measure of last resort, but the NT government have passed legislation to make it even harder for kids to get bail. The police not only fail to divert children from court, but overcharge them to deter the courts from granting bail. Children who are granted bail are shackled in ankle monitors. And I can tell you now, my, my granddaughter sees that in the schools in Darwin. The psychological effects of branding children as criminals in the Northern Territory racist and hostile public eye cannot be underestimated. Closed on Dale now, are a dedicated group of activists working hard to keep the notorious Dondale Youth Detention Centre in the spotlight this year amidst the worsening conditions, human rights breaches and shocking rates of self-harm. We have rallied every week since Christmas Day last year to demand that the government close Dondale now. Close Dondale! Thank you. The heart and soul of our small group are the grandmothers who have spent decades fighting and advocating for Aboriginal children. This month we joined forces with legendary Aranda elders from Central Deserts. Together we called this grandmother's National Day of Action to close Dondale and to abolish youth prisons. The UN Subcommittee on Prevention of Torture is in Australia right now to inspect our detention centres. We need them to hear the voices of the grandmothers who have tirelessly fought on the front line for our children. It is an unshakable belief that child protection and youth justice in the Northern Territory are a continuation of genocide and colonisation. 
Dondale is merely a symptom that seeks to eliminate First Nations peoples. It is in breach of the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, the Genocide Convention, the Torture Convention and the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Years after spit hoods and restraint chairs were banned in detention centres, police continue to use them on children in the watch houses. Guards in Don... Guards in Dondal still use force and solitary confinement to manage children's behaviour. Overcrowding and understaffing in the centre has created a pressure cooker environment that has seen the rates of self-harm, attempted suicides and hospitalisations skyrocket. The government knows that its treatment of children in detention is criminal. Last year it paid $35 million in damages to former detainees. This year... Instead of improving the conditions in Dondale, it passed legislation to cap the amount of compensation it can be directed to pay to its next victims. Close Dondale. However, it is increasingly finding that these types of measures cannot protect it from national and international scrutiny. Our relentless advocacy has kept Dondale in the public eye all year long in the Northern Territory. Our media coverage has been ceaseless and the government is feeling the pressure. Within the past few weeks, spit hoods have been banned in police watch houses and legislation has been introduced to rage the age of criminal responsibility. Up there just to 12. It's appalling. But we will not allow the narrative to end here. The Northern Territory has a population of 250,000 people, but we have amongst the very highest youth incarcerates incarceration rates and youth suicide rates, shocking, in the entire world. Raising the age is not enough, not when many of the children we imprison have undiagnosed severe neurodevelopmental impairments, not when support services have undiagnosed severe neurodevelopmental impairments, not when services are woefully inadequate in major centres in major centres and completely absent in remote communities. Not when territory families continues to remove and institutionalise children of all ages and sets them on a path in their most vulnerable of years, in their most formative of years. It's terrible. And not when bloated, racist police force is waiting eagerly in the wings to criminalise and incarcerate them on their 12th birthday. That is not progress. Not when the very same colonial system that created and perpetuates the atrocities in Dondale is woven throughout every piece of legislation, institution, policy and practice. That is delaying the inevitable. Spit hoods must be legislatively banned in every setting. We know that any loophole will be maliciously exploited. The fact that Dondale remains open clearly shows the entrenched attitudes and intent towards First Nations people in the Northern Territory. Every day that it remains open, our children continue to be harmed. This government has for five years and hundreds of millions of dollars hundreds of millions of dollars to address this issue have failed. These five years have shown us over and over again that they cannot be trusted to manage facilities or care for children. Now they are building an even larger prison to round up and incarcerate kids from all over the Northern Territory. 
A new prison will not change racist policing and systemic oppression. Institutionalising children will not reduce crime. They are in fact creating the criminals they seek to imprison. They say they will treat our children better in the new centre. They're saying a year from now they will stop torturing our children. We demand they stop now. We will not accept the new prison. And by the way, that new prison is being built right next door to the adult prison, which defies and goes against the recommendations. Make no mistake, the, atro the atrocious conditions in Dundale are not an accident or a case of a few bad apples. This is not incompetence or apathy. It is the inevitable consequence of settler colonialism and the ongoing elimination of First Nations peoples. We cannot trust the government to reform this system. It is broken by design. This is all too clear to Aboriginal people in the Northern Territory who were, just, who were subject to John Howard's Northern Territory intervention emergency response. Just 15 years ago, martial law was introduced and remote communities were invaded under the pretense of apprehending, of apprehending pedophile rings. Punitive, bureaucratic, you know, it was a lie. They, they, spoiler alert, there never were any pedophile rings. The AAA Commission proved that in 2008. But that little detail did not stop what became known as the intervention. And that aftermath continues today. Aboriginal rights were aggressively wound back on par with the protection era. Punitive bureaucracies were introduced to seize and micromanage the lives, land and resources of Aboriginal communities who were forced into inescapable poverty and stripped of the means to change their circumstances. School attendance plummeted. Youth incarceration exploded. We saw for the first time children being removed at alarming rates from remote communities, higher than at any time during the stolen generation era. This is not history. This is happening today. Gross negligence of children in, in out-of-home care sees many of them end up in detention from where it becomes hopelessly difficult to escape the system. They are severed from culture, language, community and country. They are systematically stripped of their identities. This is the same genocide that began at invasion. It is etched into Australia's DNA. The UN Subcommittee on the Prevention of Torture is here right now in Australia and we are doing everything in our power to keep Dondale in the spotlight for the duration of their stay. Go Nanas, yes. We need this country to wake up. Our children are under attack. They cannot be rehabilitated by the same people who criminalise them. They cannot be rehabilitated in a system designed to eliminate them. First Nations grandmas and activists around the country have joined our call to close Dondal now and to abolish youth prisons. We are calling for restorative programs and services that are led and fully controlled by local Aboriginal communities, including in the major centres. We demand the right to raise and rehabilitate our children. We demand nothing short of self-determination.
Uh, Nina, if I may, can I just read a quick statement out from a senior Yulnu elder of Arnhem Land? Thank you. This is from um, Yinya Mark Gugayula. He's an independent member in the Northern Territory and he represents the electorate of Mulka. And he is always speaking out about the issues in the Northern Territory Parliament. As an independent member, he's just totally ignored. But today, his statement, he, he has asked me to read this out as well. So thank you. In 2016, the mistreatment of children in Dondal was uncovered for all to see. And since then, nothing has changed. The government has spent six years ignoring the children that are being damaged by the Dondal system. These are children who are mostly on remand and won't even be sentenced to detention. Our people, the grandmothers, the grandfathers, the families and our communities have been calling to close Dondale now. Close Dondale! We want our kids on country. We want our kids with elders and leaders learning how to become who they are. Our kids need to be nurtured and supported to find their gifts and talents. We do not want our children to be part of systemic racism that tells them that they are nothing. Our kids are not nothing. They should not be ignored and left to be damaged in Dondale. Our kids are diverse and unique and talented and we want government to provide resources from community-led programs across the Northern Territory that support our children and gives them the skills they need to be successful. Rather than settling them up for a life of crime by detaining them in the system, thank you. I thank and support everyone who is fighting here today. Thank you. Thank you to all. Thanks, thank you. Now, as I said before, I wasn't supposed to be emceeing the event. I was supposed to be speaking, so I'm now going to hand it over to myself. <laughs> And just would like to finish on Georgina too, just to give her some support. What do we want? Homes, not prisons. Health, not handcuffs. What do we want? Homes, not prisons. Health, not handcuffs. Close Dondale. Defund the police. I'm a member of the steering group of Homes Not Prisons and of the National Network of Incarcerated Women and Girls. I stand in solidarity with all First Nations people and people who have experienced state-sanctioned violence and incarceration. I want to acknowledge the continued survival of incarcerated folks and their fight for real justice. Justice that does not include our human rights to be violated. Justice that does not lock us up in cages and place us in solitary confinement. Justice that does not take us away from our kids, our families and our communities. Justice that does not kill us. On behalf of the National Network of Women and Girls, I demand that all women and girls be released from carceral institutions now. Let's follow places like Hawaii that this year brought its population of girls in prison to zero. 
with a focus for rehabilitation and building support systems. This was able to be done. It takes time to take a stance and reimagine justice, to fund communities and defund prisons and police. It is hard work and at times uncomfortable, but that's no excuse. It's time to take action. Prisons are strategically designed to allow racial capitalism to thrive. Therefore, are not failing, they are doing exactly what they were designed to do. Prisons harm me, they harm you, and they harm our communities. Jails continue to add to the intergenerational trauma and the forms of genocide. They are killing our First Nations mob. It's time to stand together and stand strong. It's not just my responsibility, but everyone's responsibility to end punitive responses to people, especially kids as young as 10. They are doing their best to survive in a system that is so broken. We need to stop giving perpetrators of violence, cops, the power and legal authority to target marginalised and disadvantaged communities. As a collective, we experience trauma at the hands of the state. We are not able to build rapport and relationships with the system that has harmed us and that is designed to support us because the system fails and continues to harm us. For criminalised women, the sector is a field of landmines waiting to explode, a place of mistrust, control, abuse and power. Services are not designed for the complexities and realities of our lives and we continue to experience barriers, support that is conditional and consequential. We experience stigma, discrimination and judgement, and this pushes us further into the shadows. And we live on the margins and we live on the outskirts of society. We should not have to die to get your attention. We have learnt to protect ourselves, our families and our friends and our communities, and in imaginative transformative ways. So, stand with us to abolish the carceral system. When you feel our pain, use it to take action and support us. The time is now to defund police, to fund Aboriginal controlled organisations and their laws and ideas of conflict resolution. It is a time to elevate their voices and voices of people with lived experience. It is time to stop people and institutions that use violence, to stop giving power to police who are entitled to control and dominate, to degrade others valued on their colour, economic status, lifestyle and background. We will not be silenced. Abolish the system. Abolish the system. Defund the police. Fund communities. Fund public housing. And fund Aboriginal controlled organisations. So, as I've already mentioned before, there's ways that you can support to abolish the prisons and support funding for communities, and that is. Like I mentioned, the um, QR code for Dajawa um, to pay the rent. You can donate to um, Ad Aboriginal-controlled group, 
group through their website, paytherent.net.au. Volunteering with grassroots organisations like Husk and Rahu, which I've also already mentioned. Please sign the open letter for Homes Not Prisons if you haven't already done so. If you could all grab a poster and put it up either in the place that you work or at a local business, that would be really appreciated. And there's a little QR code in the corner of those posters, which takes you to the open letter. Also, please support VALS by going onto VALS.org to fix the bail laws. And, of course, vote for a political party that will change the bail laws, cut spending on police and prisons and invest in public housing. Volunteer for one of these political parties leading up to the election. Talk to your union about putting through a motion that supports defunding police, halting the construction of further prisons and investing in public housing. And follow Homes Not Prisons on social media. What do we want? Homes Not Prisons! What do we... Homes Not Prisons! Health Not Handcuffs! We've also designed some boxes here, as you can see. We've built our own shitty-ass prison, excuse my French. And whoever would like to come and knock that prison down and then rebuild it as housing, you're more than welcome to come up now and start knocking down prisons! The campaign to build homes, not prisons, on the streets of Nam, Melbourne, in October. Over the next four weeks at this time, you'll hear all about how the campaign started, perspectives on the carceral system and the harms associated with it from those with the direct lived experience of the system. You'll also hear about the role poverty plays in criminalising disadvantaged communities, the mission of abolition and a world without prisons. Stay tuned to 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.